Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome back to New Books in American Studies. I'm the co-host of the channel, Lillian Barger. My conversation today is with Jonathan S. Kahn, Associate Professor of Religion at Vassar College. He is co-editor with Vincent W. Lloyd of a new collection of essays entitled Race and Secularism in America, published by Columbia University Press. The introduction begins with how Martin Luther King Jr., both a religious and black leader, was stripped of both his race and his religion, to represent a homogeneous white secularism. Eleven scholars come together to forward the argument that secularism in America has been a project that manages or excludes difference by control over both religion and race. Secularism is dependent on managing not just the intertwined racial and religious discourses, but the practices and bodies of ordinary people. Secularism thus becomes white and springs from a managed Protestantism the abolitionist movement in the 19th century and the civil rights movement in the 20th century are historical examples of resistance to a secularist white consensus. The essays explore the many ways religion and race are circumscribed, how they are entwined, and the ways their management has been refused. In the process, the authors recover the transformative potential of racial and religious discourses in imagining worlds of possibilities and justice. Here's my conversation with Jonathan S. Kahn. Now let me introduce you to our guest, Jonathan S. Kahn. Jonathan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Thank you for sharing your thoughts with our audience. Uh, This book that you have co-edited with uh, Vincent W. Lloyd examines a neglected aspect of the secularism debate, uh, the intersection of race and religion. But before we get into this debate... Tell us a little about yourself, your background, and how you came to co-edit this volume of essays. Sure. So um, I got my uh, my PhD in the philosophy of religion at Columbia, and I uh, I began work as as a PhD student on Freud and religion, um, but always had a deep um, a deep desire to do work on Du Bois. Um, and finally, I just gave myself over to the souls of black folk and began to think about that. Notice that there's just been so little written in my field on, um, on Du Bois. And what I was interested, I mean, the reason why I was interested in, in Freud, I suppose, had to do with sort of the, you know, the ways that he, um, um, sort of the ways in which, you know, he was trying to think about religion in ways that I thought were complex, although ultimately not enough to get me to, to really work on him. Du Bois really, for me, embodied sort of this very liminal figure as far as sort of um, thinking about what, was, what counts as religion and what doesn't. And I'm interested in, in, in heterodox forms of, of religiosity, and I'm interested in, in um, you know, the lack of solidity in, in the category. Uh, and so I, I began working on Du Bois um, uh, and, you know, re- finished a book and, and, and had, been, had begun thinking a little bit about James Baldwin in these terms as well. Um, and after the book on Du Bois was done, I, I sort of, you know, it was around, this, around the time that the, that the conversation on the secular was really burgeoning. And... 
it felt to me that, that the secular is, is also a, co a conversation about the lack of solidity of the category of religion um, and all the language about sort of, you know, the secular being porous or interpenetrated with religion were, were sort of, was language that I was interested in. Um, and so I began to, to um, so I, you know, Vincent and I actually began discussing about the ways in which this contemporary almost cottage industry at, at, at this point um, on the secular was really just not talking about race at all. Um, and we were really complexed, uh, re really, uh, really perplexed by that. Uh, and so, you know, we have a lot of respect for the imminent frame as, as a website and, and, um, and yet when we would do searches and read things on the imminent frame, it was really remarkable that there was little to no discussion of, um, of the place of African America, of race in the Americas, in this conversation on on the secular, um, and so the, the the idea for the volume started really just over dinner one night um, at an American Academy of Religion meeting with you know, Vince and I were having dinner, um, and we thought we could um, pull together a, a really interesting set of scholars to um, to at least start by having a conversation about why has race been neglected in this. Um, in the conversation uh, in secularity studies. Um, and that was back, I don't know, I think in, in 012, where we held a, a small symposium of about 13 folks up at Syracuse University, where Vincent at the time was, um, where, where he was working. Uh, and from that weekend um, symposium came uh, ultimately the volume. Okay. To lay down some groundwork for our audience, can you give us a little history of the secularism debate? Yeah, sure. Um, so, I mean, secularity and secularism and the sec um, sort of emerges as a as a prominent category over the course of the 20th century, um, and you know, coming out of sort of Weberian type of sociological perspective and Comte, um, Freud is not incidental to this too. You know, the the idea that that emerges that somehow sort of this thing called the religious was going to disappear um, and that something called the secular, which was going to be rational and technologically informed and guided by science, um, was going to uh, sort of take over the room that, that and, the, and the, the space that religion occupies in people's minds um, and in their lives and, and, and in their bodies. And that, you know, eventually, um, eventually the religious is, is, is going to wither away. Um, and, uh, and, and, and as it's withering, it's thought to be understood as largely sort of this, um, atavistic quality of, in, in humans. And so those who have it, um, are holding on to something primitive and not necessary. I sort of, at times, you know, liken it to, to the, to an appendix, um, that the secular, the secular sees the religion as, as, as an appendix, a useless organ from a time past that can be removed without any, without any real, real incident. Um, and by the late sixties, um, you know, usually this gets sort of condensed around the voice of Peter Berger. Uh, by the late sixties, Peter Berger was, was, um, there was this very famous lunchtime talk he gave at the new school for social research in, in which he just pretty much announced that, that religion was, was dead and that, um, that, uh, you know, that, um, only, you know, only those people who um, had essentially no interest in the future were going to be interested in, um, were going to be engaged in religion. Um, and that secularity thesis sort of held reign 
um, particularly in the academy. In the academy, uh, Christian Smith's work on this um, is is remarkable. Um, I, I love his work on the emergence of the secular in the uh, as a as an academic category through through the twentieth century. Um, that, that that notion sort of reigned in the academy um, until sort of there were little cracks in it in the in the eighties, and then come the um, come the variety of political upheavals um, throughout the eighties and the nineties. It became clear that to academics that wow, this secular the secularization thesis is, is clearly not describing history as as we're experiencing it, where religion is persisting um, in all sorts of forms, you know, good and bad, violent and nonviolent, um, and then by you know by the by Charles Taylor's publication of The Secular Age, which is a, a work devoted to complicated what the secular might be if we don't take the secular to mean um, the eventual obsolescence of religion. Uh, by 2004, I think, is when The Secular Age gets published. Um, it's sort of, um, it's sort of uh, accepted that the secularization thesis is dead. And Peter Berger in 1999, you know, as the 20th century is beginning... Um, uh, sort of famously recants his his claims about the, the the death of religion, and he says that all the secularization thesis stuff needs needs to be understood as essentially wrong and rethought. And there's a lot of words that are all associated that are tied together: religion, religiosity, relit, the religious, secular, secularism, secularity. Yeah. This vocabulary, I think, now the conversation of these things are all very intertwined. Right, and this is now everybody's trying to figure out how are they intertwined. Right, right, and how to use them, and there's sort of people conjugate secular, and you know, so that secularism is different from secularity, which is different from the secular. And it, I, I actually sort sort of do some of that work at times, and I I like making a distinction between, and this is sort of following Jeff Stout, like between secularism, which is the continued persistence to police religion from the public square. Di- which is different from secularity, which is an account of modernity that um, acknowledges that multiple epistemologies are viable and that we live in a world in which those multiple epistemologies need room to um, n- need room in the public square. And the challenges become then how do you how do you navigate multiple epistemologies? Right. So the difference between secularism is a commitment to a singular epistemology, one that polices religion and secularity is a commitment to a multiplicity of ep- epistemologies that brings its own set of challenges of, okay, well, what is democratic life like when you're, when you're a secular uh, of that sort? Now, you've already mentioned it, but the, the presence of Charles Taylor is throughout the book. Yeah. See, uh, I noted that he was there a lot. Uh, yeah. Talal Assad, Sabah Man- Mahmood, and political yeah. theologians uh, William Kavanaugh and John Milkbank are also making appearances here. So right. there's... Lots of people, very heavy-duty uh, uh, scholars who are dealing with this issue. Yeah, yeah. But your book has a special place in this debate. It was, some, and you've already talked about it a little bit. How is how is race implicated in the secular to start with? Yeah. Well, so what? So I mean, Charles Taylor, you know, whose work is so important to the field, in the book functions a bit um, as. Um, I don't know what the right the right word is. He 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 functions as sort of a, a, a pole of opposition. While lots of us respect Taylor's work, he tells the story of how the secular emerges through you know in in Western modernity without mentioning a whole set of um, historical and political conditions that have produced Western modernity. Most significantly, 
um, colonialism, um, the construction of race out of the encounter of the of the New World and the, and the West, the role that religion plays as a category, both in in conquering new land and um, in constructing race. Um, and so Taylor na- narrates this this story without dealing a whole lot with um, with the way power functions in shaping the geography, shaping the bodies of the people who are who are participating in 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 Western modernity. Um, and so the book is in some sense set, you know, in opposition um, to his narrative. I mean, in some sense, he gets something right about the secular being much more complicated than than the secularity thesis gives it um, gives it credit for. But we're trying to say that he's missing a huge part of this story of the secular. Now, you tie religion and race, and and I don't know that I had this overwhelming sort of like I was haunted by this idea that. Are, and, and you're mostly talking about African-American here. Yeah. Okay. Isn't there sort of a tendency to always think of terms of African-American people as being more religious or more spiritual or having more soul? Yeah. Which is yeah. all. And how do you avoid that? Right, right. My, my man Du Bois is, is, not, is, is, is not, not guilty for, for that as well. Uh, in, in the association of the spirit with black folk. You, I mean, I don't think you can avoid it. I think that part of what we're trying to do here, though, is say that the construction of race in modernity relied on religious concepts, just not on the way that um, racialized understandings, you know, racist understandings of religious concepts tend to function, which is to say that Somehow, um, religion is an otherworldly um, matter, right? So that so that to be religious is to distance oneself from politics. That's distinctly not what we're saying, right? We're, we're well, saying especially that, since most African American religion is extremely political. Uh, yes, it is not a disembodied sort of out of the, escape the world as right. we we've been shown for a long time now. Right, right. So there's a way in which, like, if you just think of precisely what you said and compare that to the way. The secularity thesis constructs religion, which is as this sort of otherworldly, largely politically, you know, um, without a voice sort of sort of notion, privatized um, something that the state is, you know, able to police and control. We're saying without trying to essentialize what African American religiosity is, we're saying that there are multiple forms of African American religiosity that contest that account of what religion is in in a variety of ways that are really important to to point out. Um, and that if we're going to talk about the the insta- or the interpenetrate, if, if the secular is, as Charles said, Charles Taylor says, sort of about it, you know, it is a porous state in which religion, um, you know, comes in in unpredictable ways, then you really need to wrestle with the way um, racialized subjects have have dealt with that. Um, you know, also one thing I think that we you, know, you mentioned a bunch of these really important theorists. I mean, I think that one thing we also thought about as we put together this this volume was that um, a lot of the discussion of the secular is incredibly abstract and very difficult to, at times, get one's head around. And what we wanted to do in creating this volume is, I mean, obviously, and the people who contribute to this volume are, are, um, there are plenty of theorists among us, but we also wanted to sort of, you know, 
gather together a set of essays that, that have a little more sort of history to them and have sort of social context and engage with, um, um, you know, people's lives. Um, and so, you know, we've got essays about Salafism in, in Philadelphia in, in the text, or we've got an essay that, that you know, by Ed, Ed Bloom that centers around Henry Box Brown, who mails himself to, uh, to, to the North, to uh, alleged freedom. Um, we've got, you know, Erica Edwards' essay on Martin Luther King and the Boondocks comic series and an episode of The Twilight Zone. So the, the, there's a way in which this, this volume is absolutely taking on the theory of this, this, this literature of the secular, and so theory heads are going to have a good time with the book. But th there's also a way in which the book is trying to speak to sort of more concrete moments where, this, where some of these theoretical issues are actually grabbing. Um, and that, that was one of our hopes, you know, for, um, in, in constructing the book. Well, Lloyd um, starts with an introduction, which he starts right off with Martin Luther King Jr. Yeah. And how his uh, persona has been constructed, that has been stripped, basically, of religion and stripped yeah. of his uh, blackness uh, to sort of produce this sort of liberal, white, secular leader in a yeah. way, a whitened uh, yeah. secular leader. And I think that that, that we, uh, we've seen this phenomenon for a while going on, and scholars do it too. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's not just in the public arena uh, no, where, we, where no. we ignore uh, the, the religious aspects of Martin Luther King, even though so many of his speeches were sermons yeah. full of biblical allusions and, and refer references to biblical themes. Right. So talk about uh, the process of Martin Luther King becoming uh, stripped of all these things. Yeah, yeah. And, and what, is the, what is the price that we're paying for doing yeah. that? We re you know, Eric Edwards' essay as well also deals with King um, and speaks of a, of a similar type of process in which um, if you understand the secular as synonymous with the state, the secular um, is an attempt to sort of control and police subjectivities and political formations that, that, that are problematic for, for it, right? And so what, what Lloyd argues um, is that the construction of the monument, and it's such, a, it's such a, I think, brilliant introduction, the construction of the monument, again, sort of in a very literally concrete moment of how this works, right? Construction of King's Monument on the Mall represents sort of the, the state taking over King, and we get this very polished King who is um, without any of his religious fervor and fire, and frankly, um, there's no mention at all in the construction of in, – in the, the, the language that, that adorns the, the King Monument, that there's no mention at all of, of his race, of the particular concern he had for uh, black people in, in, in his life. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's an embodied example of the way bodies, black bodies, are managed by the secular. And what it produces is, you know, a whitewashed king, a king who – does not is not rooted in 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 his actual roots, which are in you know reading Cornell's essay on on King as an organic intellectual is rooted in the black church, um, and so you 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 get this King that is that is very unchallenging for the state, right? So the the King on the monument doesn't give the depth of the degree to which King's vocabulary and King's epistemology were while trying in some sense to improve the state, we're also at odds with the state, and in some sense permanently at odds with the state. I mean, the king, 
King was never interested, it seems to me, in being anything other than prophetic and trying to constantly remind the state that its own vocabulary is not um, sufficient. And yet what we get is a state-sponsored account of King, which, which essentially, you know, erases that from him. Which makes, it reminds me of something contemporary, uh, the Black Lives Matter movement. Mm-hmm. There's been some uh, discussion in the media about how there's a lack of religion in this movement. I'm yeah. not sure I buy it. Yeah. Okay, it depends on, again, what you define as religion. Right. And right. If, uh, maybe it's not religion of the ch- institutional church. Mm-hmm. But I'm kind of wondering, do you have any thoughts on that? Uh, yeah. Whether there, there's some secularism, sort of kind of whitewashing the Black Lives Matter project? Yeah, it's an interesting, it's a really interesting and difficult question. Um, so it depends, so as you said, it really depends on what we, what we mean by religion. Religion, when it's understood as institutionalized, right, which King is an institutional religious figure, you know, it seems to be, um, I mean, the Black Lives Matter movement is absolutely problematizing religion at, in those forms and is very suspicious of, of institutionalized religion. I think that, you know, when, when the Black Lives Matter movement said this is not your, your parents' civil rights movement or your grandparents' civil rights movement, I think largely what they're saying is, you know, this is not coming out of the, the black church in, a, in the structured institutional forms that it, that it, that it did, which include a lot of, you know, heteronormativity and patriarchy. Right. And, I mean, Frederick Douglass uh, was also not a uh, institutional religious figure, but he had some religiosity in his rhetoric. Absolutely, absolutely. And, you you know, you can read, I mean, he, you know, the narrative of Frederick Douglass is, is, is a, can easily be read, and I, you know, as a Christian uh, rebirth story, where he's, you know, he's born again through the sacrifice of, of his aunt, right? So that, so, and, and that's what I think is, that, so, the Black Lives Matter movement, though, is is very much open to these, as I called them earlier, sort of heterodox constructions of religiosity, right? So that you, at the same time, while you hear about the opposition to the church, you also he- hear about sort of the, you hear a language of spirituality among um, several of the Black Lives, you know, many of the Black Lives Matter movement. And and religious figures are playing roles in the movement, just not as, in, as it's not being housed in their institutions as, right. a, as, a, as it was before. Um and so I, I think that, you know, that this, I mean, what we're trying to say in, in, in this book is that, um, is that the construction of the, of the religious in the black American tradition is multiple. It's not simply something that resides in the black church alone. It's obviously not something that, that resides only in men and, 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 uh, heterosexual men. Um, and that we, that you can get a better sense of the, the sort of complicated way that religion and the secular work by looking at this tradition, and in fact, this tradition of heteronorm, I mean, of uh, heterodox understandings of religion continues to function. I mean, I, I think that, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement, you know, you know there's a lot yet to be written, right? Um, and, and so much of it is enormously promising. Uh, and ultimately, in order to find one's sense of who, of what the, the, the movement is supposed to be, you've got to articulate larger value-laden ideals, right? And those can get, those ultimately land in the realm of, of, of religion. At least religion doesn't become an inappropriate term to start thinking about them. Right. Now, why is uh, secularism conceived as white? Is that because right. it, ca- it came out of Europe? It's a European philosophical 
movement. Why, why are we, why are we saying it's white? Yeah. So, and that's also one of the main sort of theses of the book that, that one of the reasons why we should, we should think about secularism is because, um, it is often a cover for whiteness, right? And that, that, that the secular is a form of whiteness is sort of one of the, the, the more, um, you know, um, uh, you know, confrontational claims that the book makes. I mean, I think most centrally, the book argues that the secular should be understood, understood as a form of whiteness because the secular is, as it's, as it's used in our society, it's, it's synonymous with the control that, that the state has on the public, right? And one of the things that, that the state does is control the way bodies function in our society. Um, and that this, that insofar as the secular is about managing the, the bodies of its, of its citizens and its non-citizens, right? Um, figuring out what access they have to resources, determining where they live, um, you know, determining, um, uh, you know, their type of schooling that they get that insofar as the secular is engaged in that work, the secular is, um, is complicit with the sort of un with the ways that, that black bodies, black and brown bodies, um, are subject to the state. Well, one of the things that you uh, talk about here, as you just mentioned, uh, the bodies, the control of bodies, mm -hmm. which, uh, I think, yeah, Tracy Fetison, is that her name? Fes yeah, Fesson. Yes, yeah. she, she is, she's bringing up in the control of women's bodies and sexuality. Right. By, by putting those things in the realm of private, mm -hmm. which where the, that's where religion is. Mm -hmm. It's a way for this, the state can sort of control sexuality and women's bodies, not directly, but indirectly through the instruments of a, a managed religion. That's right. That's right. And that, that family and gender and sexual issues, that the state allows religion. I mean, you have to ask the question, like, why is it that on issues of um, abortion, religion is allowed to speak full-throatedly, and we listen in the society to religious arguments about abortion, but we don't listen to religious arguments about poverty, right? You know, why is the state allowed, why is religion allowed to, to, to speak clearly there? You know, the state allows it to speak clearly there because the state has sort of relegated those issues. Well, those are going to be privatized issues that are really ultimately about religion. And so I think Tracy's work um, is about sort of highlighting the, the assumed um, norms that govern moral issues that are understood as being under the aegis of religion and not. Um, and, you know, and she wants to say that, that, that just as secularism is a form um, of whiteness, secularism is also a form of, of, of patriarchy um, and heteronormativity. And if we think about the way women's bodies are managed, we can see it um, in the workings of, of state norms for what um, you know, where power is allowed to function as far as women's lives go. Now, you t uh, one thing you talk about is not only the management of, of race, but it's also the management of religion that secularism is engaged in to produce sort of this liberal, uh, very accommodating Protestantism mm -hmm. that sort of lets, lets the state do what it wants mm -hmm. and kind of minds its own private, private business. Mm -hmm. What is the role? And it was there was it was only mentioned maybe once or twice. Uh, what is the role uh, of civil religion uh, in this? Yeah, is I, is I, civil religion the same thing as is managed Protestantism you're talking about? 
I think so. I mean, I think Robert Bellow's notion of civil religion is is part of the construction of, of the secular. Um, I mean, the, it, just insofar as, at least as Bella understands it, you know, civil religion is something that is, that is trying, um, it's not challenging the norms of the state, it's trying to construct the norms of, of, of the state. Uh, and, I mean, I think that the book is, is not saying, I mean, the book is not saying, like, well, let's just get rid of, of the secular entirely, and let's just let religious voices speak as loudly as, as, as they can, um, and sort of, you know, try to sort of usher in this age in which, uh, I don't know, where, where maybe the loudest religious voice is going to, um, is going to win. I mean, I think the, the book is saying is that, and what we're, we're trying to say is that there have to be, um, there have to be moments, or at least we need to be aware of the ways in which the secular, which is a form of civil religion, you know, as much as it is sort of without religion, where the secular has to be challenged. And, wh- and where can those voices come from? And what we're, we're saying is that religion is one category that at times, not in any essential way, um, you know, functions to do that. And we, you know, we need, we'd like to sort of, sort of say like, let's, let, let's keep track. Once you make the move where religion is no longer this thing that you need to sort of you know, titrate in society in small doses. Um, we might then begin to, you know, think about larger issues that religion at times productively uh, speaks of. So one of the issues that comes up in, in, in our book is just let's talk a little, let's use this moment to talk about the secular and race to talk about justice. And there are times when religion is going to speak about justice well, and there's times when religion is going to speak about it poorly, and there are times when non-religious, you know, accounts of, of justice do both good and bad. Okay. And so that's what we're, we're pushing toward. Now, one of the things that you, the book talks about is uh, that liberal modernity denies difference. It's a management of difference. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking specifically of George Shulman's uh, essay on black political theology, where mm-hmm. he's drawing from Carl Smith, mm-hmm. which is a fascinating uh, essay. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit about that? The, the, the secular, it's really what we're talking here is about power. Right. Right. I mean, you're talking about the secular as the secular state as a form of power that tries to manage, and religion is not willing to give up all its power to the that, state, and so yeah. there's a competition going on continuously between the power of the state and the and the power of religious convictions or values that people right. are wanting to to live by. Right. And so, and, when, when they're competing, yeah. you know, what do you? Who gets the upper hand? Right. And, you know, George's, George's work is so interesting because I mean, I, his book, American Prophecy, I read as sort of this mea culpa almost um, by a political theorist saying, you know, for so long, political theorists have had this anti-religious bias um, in thinking about and, you know, sort of he situates to some degree Hannah Arendt in this, you know, as, as, as someone like this who, who just sort of sees religion as this thing that really we need to get rid of because it's irrational and is and is. And, and um, has an understanding of the way authority works, uh, that is, authority to God, that just goes against what it is to have a democratic state, right? And what, what Shulman is saying is that why, I mean, what Shulman's book is sort of saying in the essay is like, why is it that Af- <clears throat> African-American people in this country have long used religion to sort of find, that, find their way in democracy? It, it can't be that, that religion is inherently somehow anti-democratic, and in particular, um, there may be a way in which that if you don't hold the 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 power reins of democracy, 
um, religion may be, um, and its construction of authority may be particularly helpful in thinking about the way authority works. And what Shulman's essay is saying is that, look, it, it, it's a liberal myth to, to think that in our society authority is constructed just simply out of consent. Right? I mean, the whole idea of political theology and, and Schmidt's work is like, this is, a, this is a fable that liberals tell themselves in order to rationalize you know, a certain ideological claim to power. But really, authority is very arbitrary, um, and we need to sort of come to terms with that uh, in, in thinking about democracy. Yeah, which is, which is who, who has the say in the exception? When there is an exception, yeah. who has the final say? Where does the right. buck stop? Right, right. Does it stop with the state or the sovereign? Yeah. Or does it stop with some somebody else or somewhere yeah. else? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, in, I mean, I think that, that you know, George would want to say that um, in the African-American case, the cases that he looks at, it's the construction of the sovereign is God, but but for the purposes of trying to create, I mean, God is used as a as a um, as a ballast against a sort of an abusive state for the purposes of tr- of trying to define a certain type of of justice and equality within within society. That that's one version of what he says. He also though points to that there's a way in which what's going on now in in the sort of you know as he says I think the language he uses you know, under the sign of Afro pessimism. Um, is that he sees sort of Afro pessimism as a as a as a political theology that is in fact not try- it is talking about authority in, in in this way as arbitrary as something that is that is um, um, you know not about democratic consent but about sort of the seizing of value um, but in the case of Afro pessimism it's 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 trying to take itself out of the economy of American democracy and say, and and saying that that economy is no longer one that that seems to be salvageable um, to us, and so he he talks about Richard Eiten's work in um, in in his essay, um, as well as uh, Saida Hartman's work, um, as as a type of black political theology that is trying to carve out power formations that are not no longer engaging with with dominant American democracy. Well, uh, you mentioned Arant. Uh, she. Was very what she said about Christianity was that it gave people sort of a a pass to opt out of politics. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That was one of her big problems that people could just opt out, right, and right. and not be fully politically engaged because right. they're 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 hoping for you know heaven or the kingdom of God to come or whatever, right, and right. souls to be saved later, right, yeah. which but it's interesting with uh, African American religion for the most part. Even though it has a strong sort of uh, hope, hopefulness for the kingdom to come, it's still very much now. Yeah, I mean, in, in its in its traditional forms, absolutely. I mean, there's very little that's that um, that I mean, you know, that, that is about sort of evading this world. It's it's you know either about liberation within this world or at least you know creative ways of surviving this uh, this this world. I mean, it's 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 simply synonymous with the everyday as opposed to reaching for something else. And so to, re- uh, to deny religion uh, in terms of how African-American people have expressed it is a way, uh, in a way, uh, is to deny black people pol- political subjectivity that I've, one of your authors talks about. Right, right. I mean, that, again, is also one of the, the central themes of, of the book that, you know, I think I try to write about this a little bit, that the secularity thesis 
is not a denial. It's not just simply a denial of religion. It's 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 a denial of the sort of political basis of you know of the African American uh, experience in this country. I mean, there there there, is, there you know historically religion has has found its way into you know essentially most you know African American political political moments at least up up until I mean now with Black Lives Matter there there may be something different, but but you know also what what George's I mean. George's work on political theology is saying, you know, is saying, and what Schmidt's saying is like, let's not only think about religion when it's talking about God. I mean, that political theology is how is authority consolidated, and when it's cons- and when when it's consolidated, that is a theological moment, right? That that's what that's what Schmidt's argument is, and so even when Black Lives Matters, what if you see Black Lives Matters as an attempt to consolidate? Um, black authority, black sovereignty, to try to construct b- b- black sovereignty, Schmidt would argue, Shulman argues, that those are theological moments. Th- those, are, those are anti-liberal moments where, where, um, where liberalism, where they reject the idea that what's going on here is, you know, we're coming up with a set of neutral rules by which we're going to engage with each other, right? The theological is saying, no, we, there is a history to why we have authority as, as, as we do. And it's it's one that is you know utterly shaped by by a certain experience, um, and those are those are theological. I mean, so religion is. I mean, it's it's a bit of a cheap argument to sort of say that religion is there whenever you know you know even when it's not there, which sometimes political theology can turn into. But more particularly, I think the more important point is that religion theology is there whenever authority is consolidated, whenever claims to sovereignty are made. Um, I, I like that yeah, version. I always say, always say, relig- religion is is not everything, but it's everywhere. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it shows up everywhere, even though it's not everything. Right. Uh, now I was thinking about what you just said about uh, we have a history, of course, in America of, of 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 white people trying to secure the separation of church and state, mm-hmm. and for black people, that really wasn't the big issue. Mm-hmm. The, the big issue was how to actualize the freedom that they believe their religion gave them, yeah. their Christian freedom, in a political arena that denied it. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, you know, historically, so historically, religi- white religiosity, white Christianity in this country, of course, has been used to, to promulgate racism as much as, as anything else, right? So if you look back to, to slavery or, um, or Jim Crow, um, you know the the white church is is vocal in in so many ways about the 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 appropriateness of racialized um, laws and situations for Christianity. Christianity mandates that that this right. And what's so interesting is that that the African American tradition largely um, has not responded by saying um, we need to keep church and state separate. Right. right? The the response has been. And actually, Vincent writes about this in, a, in, in his most recent book. Response has been that there's a natural law claim to God that supersedes, um, you know, the, the, this this understanding of of, of religion. Um, and you know, that is, I think, a consistent impulse here um, in black political formation. Again, Shulman's um, work speaks speaks to this, which is, you know, why how is it that that left leaning political theorists have overlooked the ways in which African Americans use God to construct political formations, um, you know, and and it's and it's and again, I mean, the, what's important here is that we're not trying to essentialize religion in the Black Church. Um, 
you know, Toni Morrison's understanding of, of God and spirituality in, in Beloved, which is very um, heterodox and as much anti-Christian as it is um, sort of promote, it's, it challenges a normative understanding of Christianity. However, it is not an embrace of a certain type of secularity or secularism that says religion should be kept out of it, right? Um, and it's, it's that idea that, that if we're going to have political formation, it can't simply work by setting up supposedly neutral rules, which are, which are going to, in, in their, you know, work their magic and deal with every citizen as though that citizen doesn't have a past, as though every citizen is going to be dealt with from behind the veil of ignorance. African American experience of liberalism, um, you know, many whites, um, experience of liberalism is not that liberalism functions in this neutral way, right? And so that you need ways of consolidating one's own understanding of authority in order to manage, in order to live within the system. Okay, let's, uh, we've been talking a lot of theoretical stuff, which is very mm-hmm. interesting to me, but yeah. I wanted to get to some of the, the second set of essays, which are a little bit more concrete. One is, uh, Edward Bloom's, uh, essay on Henry Box Brown mm-hmm. uh, as an example of resistance to this management of race and religion. Yeah. And how he manages, uh, uh, Box Brown manages not only to escape racial slavery, but to reimagine religion yeah. uh, from white masters who are gods to black, to white masters being the devil. Yeah. Yeah. And so he, um, he escapes in two ways, his body and he escapes his, his mental imaginary about yeah. who God is. Can you talk a little bit about that? And how does Bloom, Bloom tra- challenge Charles Taylor's account? Yeah. Yeah. He, for, mm-hmm. yeah, for me, that's one of the most important moments of the book. When, Because one of the things that, that, that Taylor says is that, you know, in this new secular age, we have a buffered self. Um, and ourselves are no longer porous, Charles Taylor says, which means that, you know, before the secular age, I don't know, a thousand years ago, um, ourselves, this is on Taylor's construction, ourselves were subject to religious forces, um, and they just incurred in, into our lives. Religion was a, was something that just interpenetrated who we were. And that secularity, as it's contemporarily, as it's constructed now, is we're buffered from that. And we have choices about whether or not we want to subject us or we want to be subjected to, um, religious notions, right? Um, and so that, that the the secular self today is is a self that is that is marked by a heightened um, ability to choose what one experiences, right? Which I wonder whether there's a myth there, the myth of choice, and then sociologically, uh, right. is that true that we're so embedded into our environment, the idea that you that we have choice right. always right. In, in, is I still I, I have a problem with that. I don't know how far uh, our choice goes. No, absolutely. I mean, so. Part of the good work that Taylor does is sort of contest the enlightenment construction of the secularization thesis. The part of the criticism of him is that he produces an enlightenment account of what it is to have a self, which is a buffered self, right? So what, what, what Bloom does is say, like this idea of a buffered self as somehow ability, as, as somehow able to choose what social forces it, it, it can, it, it needs to manage, um, is, is belied by Henry Box Brown, who literally, you know, um, put himself into a box and, and produced ho- and, and punctured it with holes so he could breathe to get himself out of slavery. And it just embodies and personifies, you know, the, the way, the, the ways, and, and I think Bloom really nicely plays with the word holy. That box is holy. It's holy in the sense it literally has holes, 
but that it it becomes the site of of religious holiness as well. Uh, you know, confounding white Christianity and producing a a, a distinctly African American version of Christianity. Um, and so it, it's an example of a literally porous self, right? It's a porous box. Brown doesn't have the choice to sort of choose a subjectivity that either accepts religion or, or not. He is, he is dealing with social forces that engage his body in such a way that in his moment produce religiosity and produce a religious self. And I think what, what's important about, also about Bloom's essay, um, as well as our book is that none of us are saying, um, that somehow that you know, African-American life is essentially religious. This is to get back to your point. But under particular historical conditions, African-American life was necess- by necessity worked through by religion. And it very well may be that in modernity, as, as life you know, moves forward in the future, that, that religion will be not the trope and not the means by which African-Americans manage and, um, and try to exist with still porous selves. Right? But the idea is that it's a mistake of whiteness to think that the self is somehow emerged from, from secularism as buffered, as able to keep, keep forces, social forces away from oneself. Yeah, it doesn't even seem sociologically or psychologically uh, viable. It may, be, right. it may be philosophically right. an argument, but it doesn't seem to be really on the ground yeah. something that, that. Re- that is true. And yeah. I, I, I really, uh, the Bloom's essay, I really liked uh, when he's talking about that he thought the masters were God. Mm-hmm. And then he, when he realized they weren't God yeah. and they became devils. Right. And I just thought that that was just really fascinating because that changed everything. Yeah, yeah. I mean, sort politically, of, it changed everything. Right, right. Sort of this, re, you know, I don't know. Reimagining. Like, yeah, my roots in Nietzsche, like the revaluation of value, yeah, is, yeah, trans, yeah, is so Im- Im- important to to Box Brown. The other one that I was really happy to see was this uh, Joel Bletcher and Joshua Doubler's Salafism mm-hmm. Muslims of Philadelphia. I thought that that was very interesting, and in how they talked about how these particular Muslims, uh, black Muslims, are are challenging the secular, mm-hmm. and. You know, they're an example of that our rent would, would say, see, religion is a way for them to escape yeah. the political. Yeah, it's right. And, you know, they would be I mean, that is a fascinating essay because this they're interested in this particular African-American religious formation, not as something that is trying to somehow contest the state's authority, but trying to take the take African-American life away from the state. Right. So that, you know, that I mean, it's, it's an important essay because so many of the examples in the essay in the book we have are of of African-American moments in which in which religion and politics come together to challenge the state and to assert um, a sort of a type of of um, contest against the state to take the state on. And what the Salafis, as they as they pr- uh, describe it, um, are doing in in Philadelphia is is saying, you know, we you know, we need to have agency over. Um, our categories of religion, because this is how we're going to self-determine. And so, what what they're saying is that even in the cases where African Americans are using religion to distance themselves from the state, it's still a political move. This is not somehow like pie in the sky and let's wait for for later. This is about forming a particular type of black-centered community within Philadelphia. And it still has. I mean, I think that the subtext of their essay is this is still a political thing. It's just not a political thing in terms of joining the state. Um, 
it probably continues to contest the state, right? Because what they're doing is saying, we are not going to be controlled by the state's norms as much as the state wants to, to do that to us. Right. And like, we're not going to like advocate against racism or, mm-hmm. or some of these things that are very much in our public uh, dialogue. It reminds me of Christian anarchism. Mm-hmm. Okay, the, uh, the idea that uh, God is sovereign right. and that the ch- state can, should not be given any priority whatsoever. Right, right. And that somehow, that somehow religious victory is synonymous with political power. Right. Right. They're they're content. I mean, so many formations of Christianity, you know, do that, that they somehow think that religiosity finds its best um, pronunciation when it's gotten a hold of a certain type of state power. And and there's a way in which, you know, the Salafis are saying, like, we're not going to give the state that type of sovereignty. Right. This is not our ultimate goal here. Um, And so it's, you know, it's I mean, I suppose they're quiescent, you know, that, that that that's the critique of them. But ultimately, they're not because they're about the formation of their community. Yeah, no, I, I, I think that there's they're probably a good example of maybe hundreds or thousands of communities different of different religious uh, persuasions mm-hmm. that are doing exactly the same thing. Right. I mean, I read this as sort of an example of how religion responds to the secular state. Yeah. And that yeah. is the only one. Yeah. Okay. Um, Precisely that that it's not, you know, it it's not a they're not while not being uh, publicly political in their expressions of the religion, they're not accepting the privatized account of what religion is. Religion for the for the Salafis is everything. It's every part of their lives they, they can't disentangle it from um, the way that they engage with every single aspect of, of, of who they are. And so in that, they're rejecting a very sort of secular understanding of religion as this sort of feeling in one's heart that one carries around um, solely in, a, in an ethereal way. Okay, I'm just, I'm just thinking about William Kavanaugh and his uh, Catholic anarchism. I don't know, right. it just seems to be some... Very, very simple, I, I think, yeah. Very simple, what he's saying. Okay, yeah. Uh, the other thing about the book that was really interesting is that you managed to bring in him. You, you got a lot of stuff in there. You got gender in there, which at the very end, but you got it in there. Yes. And then, <laughs> and then this, there was a transnational aspect of this. Yeah. That you went beyond America and you started looking a little broader at, and there's that one essay about, um, West Africa, Haiti and the U.S. South about these ideas, the tropes of the fetish, the frenzy and the voodoo as tropes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That mark both religious and racial difference, mm-hmm. and how they they they've been used politically. Yeah, I mean, I think that that you know, critiques of the book can be that it understands race too narrowly. So it understands re, 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 excuse me, it understands race mostly in the form of you know African American constructions of race. Um, and another critique of the book can um, can be that it's too America centered, right? So that while we do just it's sort of against the way American studies also you know functions today, which is to be, um, as transnational as, 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 as it can be, as it, you know, the more transnational, the better. And I think those are legitimate critiques. I mean, we were aware of that, um, that, that our account of race, um, was limited, um, to, to black American constructions. We wanted this to be a beginning point for, um, this conversation. So let, like, let's invite 
um, Asian and Latino accounts of, of, of race here too. Because I was thinking about, I was thinking about Latino and I was thinking about the, uh, both the Catholic Latino and also the, the Protestant or Pentecostal yep. uh, Latino who would have a, they would have their own take uh, on, particularly the Pentecostals on the state. That's right. That's right. And, and that work sort of, um, you know, needs to be done. Um, and then, you know, on the, on the, tra- I mean, you know, both Bill Hart and Willie Jennings um, essays are, are essays that sort of, you know, root the constructions of race in this, in the colonial encounter. Um, and that, and, and that's sort of in some sense why we began, I mean, that, you know, you know, why we began and in, and in the slave trade. Um, and, uh, and that ultimately, you know, sort of is, you know, is, is crucial to us that this, that this whole discussion is, is not just about sort of what hap- what happens within the American borders, but, has deeper roots in enormous forces of, of modernization that are, that are transnational. Um, I mean, Cooper Harris's book, uh, Cooper Harris's essay in which he speaks about the ways that construction of race influence droning practices. Um, and you know, the way drones, um, uh, are used by, by the government it, it is also an attempt, I think, to sort of make this, this story more, more transnational, um, that, that there's a way in which, you know, as as Saba Mahmoud talks about, that the secular is now exported in this war on Islam, and constructions of race make make drones, um, you know, the overlap of race and religion, um, you know, brown Muslims make um, allows for drones in ways that that really we haven't examined. Which brought me uh, brought to mind the book by Saba Mahmoud, uh, "Religious Difference in a Secular Age." Yeah. In her book, she talks about how secularism, the exportation of secularism to these Muslim countries, she's specifically talking about Egypt, actually yep. through colonialism, uh, created a religious strife and issues. Right. It, 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 by privatizing religion and doing certain, giving religion certain privileges. And uh, it was, her book is very interesting because it kind of, it dovetails with what you're doing here. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the story she's telling is, is very complex and, you know, yes, again, it is. yeah. And, and again, the way that, that secular nationalism, um, you know, allows certain areas where religion can have agency and power. Those are oftentimes within the family and having to do with, do with gender, um, marital family law and marital law and that sort of thing. Yes. Yeah. Which women have not done so well with that. <laughs> that. That's right. And that, that, you know, those um, are not, though they are understood, you know, as private because they have to do with, you know, the family, which in, in the secular West gets, um, you know, is conducted behind closed doors. They're ultimately not private issues at all, right? They're, they're, they're deeply uh, issues of public norms. And that the sort of attempt, I mean, her argument is the attempt to do this by the West to sort of control religion by giving it this domain of, of, of private life um, has has entirely come home to roost. Oh yeah, she's talking about all the consequences of that. But yeah. I, let me ask you about your book again. Uh, where do you think this book will be useful? And mm-hmm. have you are you hearing back from people? What are you hearing? Well, we're hoping. I mean, we hope that it's useful in the classroom most um, most primarily, right? I mean that that we're 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 hopeful that it's going to be taught. Um, I'm here. We're hearing that that 
that certain essays of it are um, are already being taught. I mean, I've taught it. Um, in, I'm teaching. Uh, I taught a class this last this last spring. Uh, I think that it it provides. I mean, because it's such a different volume in light of the rest of the work on the secular, because none of it, none of the rest of the work on the secular is talking about the obviously deeply important issues of race and power in the way this book does. I think that, that it's sort of essential for any class that is trying to sort of think about what is this really robust discussion of the secular in the last 20 years? Um, because this is really the only book that centrally is, is focused on the ways that, and that really makes the claim that, that the secular needs to be understood as a form of whiteness. Um, it's interesting what you're talking about, because I'm thinking about um, Catherine Lofton's uh, book on Oprah, mm-hmm. in which she she puts together uh, Oprah as a religious figure. Mm-hmm. She's an African-American religious figure. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's interpreted as being a secular person right. with a mostly white audience. Right, right. And... And also not very political, she's understood as. Right, right? exactly. So, yeah. so uh, I'm thinking that Lofton's book uh, sort of begins to bring this kind of stuff together. She's doing something different because she's a, doing a cultural analysis. But right. anyway, it just reminds me of some of the things that themes in your in the book that you've just put together. Yeah, that that's right. I mean that that when you look at when you look at the intersection of race and religion you're you know what we're saying is that you're also looking at the intersection of 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 how the state um of of political modes of being in the state right and so that when you know in the case of oprah there's this um that there's the the role that her type of religiosity um plays is one that is that is a that is about a certain type of managing of, of race and how race you know functions and produ- produces an ideal that at least on the surface is is attempting to you know to to create something of a raceless um, society. Um, that's important to see that the you know that that the attempt to do that is the work of the secular. The attempt to to make it more complex, you have to engage challenges to that, which often include. Um, uh, religion and and that's sort of the 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 central thrust of this of this book, which is that you know accounts of the secular um, you know can can be and need to be disrupted as 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 much as possible at least insofar as the secular is about you know the management of religion for the purposes of projects of the state okay we're out of time, Jonathan thank you so All much right. thank uh, you you've been very generous thank you. Thank you, and thank you to our listeners for tuning in to another edition of New Books in American Studies. It would be a pleasure to hear from you. You can reach me through my website, www.lillianbarger.com. This is your host, Lillian Barger. 